Good morning. We welcome everyone to Bible study as we continue our study of Ephesians. Whether you're here or listening on the radio, we're glad to have you. So we're going to start at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. Verse 3. All right. Sexual immorality and uncleanness, all uncleanness. And the word is actually there, it's probably translated covetousness. But since this is referring to a list of sexual sins, it could certainly be translated lust. So sexual impurity, uncleanness, and lust will not be named among you as is fitting or appropriate for the saints. Now, uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, don't even talk about this stuff. Because the more you talk about it, the more tempted you are to be a part of it. We've talked about this before, but in the Gentile world... Sexual impurity was just part of life. There was no such thing as marital faithfulness. It was pretty perverse. And that was the accepted practice. Further, he's writing to those in Ephesus. Ephesus was where the temple of Diana was. The Temple of Diana used to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world at that time. But um, we read about this uh, in uh, Acts, where there was a riot in Ephesus, and all because Paul was preaching the gospel, and the tradesmen that made statues of the goddess Diana, their business was going down because Paul was preaching against idols. That was the basis of the riot. So this was a community uh, that was very much focused on uh, an idol, and she was the goddess of fertility. So there was sexual immorality with this. So this warning, and why is he doing this? He wants the people to know that they can't go back. They can't go back. They can't go back to their former ways. They cannot confess to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, baptized in the faith, and go back to this previous kind of lifestyle. So don't let it even be named among you because it's not fitting for the saints. Nor obscenity or uh, foolish words, coarse jesting, which is not suitable. In other words, these manifestations, talking about them, 
uh, obscene language, foolish words, coarse jesting, it's not appropriate, but rather thanksgiving, okay? So giving thanks to God, and, and frankly, this word is Eucharisto, wherever the word Eucharist. And there's some that believe that this section may be saying to stay away from idols and the table of idols. We'll get to that a little later on. So don't even mention it. For this, know for certain that any fornicator or impure one or lustful one, and then it says, which is idolatry. So that's where we're getting the hint about this idol worship of Diana. And what Paul is saying is, when you get hung up on this kind of sexual immorality, it becomes your idol. It becomes your focus in life. It distracts you from God. And it's like you're worshiping God, but in this world, you're going to do this. Not so. Paul is saying you cannot worship God and have these kinds of things as your focus in life as an idol. Okay? He calls it idolatry. Now, another reason for this is, and we've talked about this, in the Old Testament, worshiping idols was associated, God called it adultery because he considered himself the bridegroom and Israel was his bride. When they went after other gods, he not only called it idolatry, but adultery. So here we see him, Paul, just like the Old Testament, equating adulterous, sinful, sexual practices with idolatry, okay? So it parallels um, what the Old Testament talked about. And so anyone that does that does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, okay? In other words, they are excluded from the kingdom of Christ. Now, usually the phrase is kingdom of God. Here's one of the very few places, if not the only one, that says kingdom of Christ. Now, notice that says kingdom of Christ, and your translations probably say Christ and God. Um, that may not, it's not, we don't think it's trying to distinguish between Christ and God the Father, because that happens later in the passage. 
we think it's emphasizing in the kingdom of Christ who is God. It's emphasizing that Christ is God. And that's why it's uh, this way. So it's not necessarily the Son and the Father, but it's affirming that Christ is God. So if these things become your focus, becomes your idol, then you have forsaken the Lord. And when you forsake the Lord, then you do not have an inheritance in heaven. So it's a pretty strenuous warning. No longer be deceived with empty words. Because of this, for because of this, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So empty words, um, words that are not of God, words that are spoken by false teachers, false prophets. These lead to the wrath of God coming on those sons of disobedience who have forsaken or who will not believe in Jesus Christ. Will not believe in Jesus Christ. So this brings the wrath of God. And the term is empty words, hollow words. In other words, words that sound good to you, but they're not of God. They're not of God. And then verse 7, Therefore, do not be partakers of them. Do not jointly partake with them. Okay? In other words, don't do what they do. Don't hear what they hear. Now, this is the word that causes us to think of another passage. And all these, these uh, verses kind of tie together. So I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not our participation in the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Okay, And then, down in 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. That's the, the word do not partake with them leads us to believe that what Paul was saying and that word that we pass, thanksgiving, Eucharisto, Eucharist, that Paul is implying 
you cannot continue with your idolatry and eating in houses that worship the goddess Diana and serve meat that has been offered to idols. And at the same time, be taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ in the sacrament. Can't be the table of demons and the table of the Lord at the same time. In other words, it's a warning that you can't play like nothing's happened in your life because you now believe in Jesus Christ, but then go ahead and do what you were always doing. What you were always doing separates you from God. Separates you from God. You can't have it both ways. You can't live as a, and declare, confess, I believe in Jesus Christ, and continue to practice these things. Okay? And that word there, be partakers in, and there's another word coming up that's even stronger. Okay? For you were then darkness, now light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Okay? Now, the darkness and light, that's, that's throughout the scriptures. Uh, he is saying that the way your past ways, the idolatry, all it entailed is darkness. When we think of light, probably the first thing we think of, you remember the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was so bright, they could not look at him. He is light. But the second thing we always think of is, we as Christians are to be reflections of that light, okay? When it says, now you are light, it's pointing to your baptism, and it's saying to you, you, your lifestyle, your words, your conduct, all of it is to be a reflection of the light of Christ. In other words, up to now, they've been dividing things up. They confess Jesus Christ, but they do something else. With the word light, Paul is saying, that's a total life. You can't divide it up. Uh, you can't compartmentalize it and keep some parts that you like and then claim to be a Christian the rest. It's to be a unified whole. You are light. Notice it says, it's very specific. You're not the light. You are light in the Lord because it is the Lord that has made you 
what you are. You didn't do it yourself. You are light in the Lord. Okay? So walk as children of life. The word walk, Paul uses as another word that denotes lifestyle. This is the way you live, the way you walk as a Christian. For the fruit of the light is all goodness and righteousness and truth. Now, the Holy Spirit, if you, if you study carefully in the Bible, when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and working in you, it's always referred to as fruit. Okay? In other places, when Paul is saying you cannot save yourself by works. Men do works. The Holy Spirit works faith. So what is the faith here? All acts of goodness. Okay? All acts of goodness. Righteousness. In other words, the righteousness that has been given you by God in Jesus Christ and that you can now share with others so that they might receive that righteousness and truth. Okay? So notice how he, it's always in threes. Impurity, sexual immorality, um, lust, three. Uh, obscenity, false words or, or empty words, uh, foolish words, and coarse jesting, three. Okay? He deals with it in threes. So what is the fruit of righteousness or the fruit that the Holy Spirit bells? Three. Okay? Back to three. Goodness, righteousness, and um, truth. So he, it, it's, a, it's a right, it's, that's the way he's, he, he does it, okay? This is not by um, chance. Um, he, is, he is writing it this way, all right? So those are the three things that are fruit, and then it says, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. The only way we can test anything is by comparing it to the Word of God. If the Word of God affirms it, fine. If the Word of God speaks against it, then it's not. We have no way of testing things ourselves. Because we are sinful, we have the ability to talk ourselves into thinking something's good. Because it's our favorite. 
our pet sin. So we talk ourselves into thinking this is okay. The primary testing of our works is the Ten Commandments. It's the third use of the law to guide Christians into the life that is pleasing to God. So if you talk yourself into something and then compare it to the Ten Commandments and it's a no-no, it's not good. You're testing what is pleasing to God. It may be pleasing to us, may be pleasing to the world, but is it pleasing to God is the question. Is it pleasing to God? So we are told to test. Uh, it's, it's here, it's in 1 John chapter 4, test the spirits. Um, so test to see what is the Lord. And then it says, and do not have fellowship with those who work, whose works are the uncleanliness of darkness. Rather, expose them. Now, that first word, and do not have, it's actually have fellowship with them. Have fellowship with them. That word also takes us back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, because there is the element of fellowship. Communion, the celebration of the Eucharist, is a fellowship event where the body of believers come together and receive the sacrament. You can't have fellowship with those that believe things like we've just talked about. The sexual immorality, the lust, the worship of an idol like Diana. You can't have it both ways. And again, this word is used um, for uh, fellowship, uh, and, and you can't have fellowship with those who are doing the works of darkness. But rather, it says, expose them. In other words, show them for what they really are. For what is done in secret by them is shameful to mention. Okay? That ties it in with the first verse. Don't let them be named among you. This is saying it is even shameful to talk about it. Okay? And what they do. And I want you, it doesn't show up um, in the uh, English. But back up where it says, 
do not have fellowship with those who are uh, doing the works of darkness. But what it actually says is, do not have fellowship with those unfruitful works of darkness. It's unfruitful, the word. So what's being, what he's corresponding here is the fruit of the Spirit. These other things are unfruitful. No fruit. Okay? No fruit. So don't participate with those who are doing unfruitful things. Unfruitful things. All right, so don't even name them. All right. For everything that is exposed by the light is clear or is manifest. In other words, all the things exposed are clear by the light. In other words, the light shows you what the truth is. The light shows you what the truth is and makes clear what is of God and what is not of God. The light shines into the darkness and exposes the darkness for what it really is, which is unfruitful works that dishonor God, that separate you from God, and it makes it clear. Uh, It makes it clear. And then another uh, sentence, um, for everything revealed is light. Now that's, that's troubling, okay? Because we're talking about the works of darkness. How does light reveal them? and makes it clear. Well, it's this. The light of God's Word, number one, shows that it's wrong. Number two, the light of God's Word convicts what is wrong. And number three, the light of God converts unbelief to belief. So it shows, convicts, and converts. That's what the light, the true light, Christ, can work in a human heart. All of those things. So Paul is saying all of that work that Christ does, that Christ's word does to show a person their wrongs, to convict them of their wrongs, to convert their hearts. It's all the work of the light shining in the darkness. Shining in the darkness. Therefore, it says, 
Arise, one who sleeps, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the assurance of the resurrection. Assurance of the resurrection. And the sleep that's being talked about, death is many times called sleep in the New Testament. Okay? You are going to rise from sleep. Now, you could also say that sleep is the spiritual uh, apathy. You're, you're sleepy spiritually, but it's better translated as the resurrection, death itself. Arise, the one who sleeps, rising from the dead, and why is that possible? Because Christ shines on you as the light. Okay? Christ shines on you as the light. So Paul's point here is simply, you can't go back to the way you used to live. Okay? You have something better. You have the light of Christ. Now let me, I've done all the talking. Let me, uh, any questions, comments at this point before we go on? Yes. We see the world doing the testing that's referred to out of reason as opposed to the Word of God. That is correct. If it's not reasonable, the world doesn't want it. Um, for our gospel lesson today, Thomas was a person of reason. I will not believe that Jesus Christ is risen unless I put my hands in the nail wounds and his side. That's reason. That's the way the world tests things. Is it reasonable? Can you explain it? If you can't explain it, it's not reasonable, and therefore don't believe it. Okay? But that's not the way the Christian faith works. Yes, sir. These words are in direct conflict, and we, and we see that today. I mean, uh, because Christianity has commandments and rules, God is looked upon now as a hateful, vengeful person because he doesn't accept everybody. Okay? He doesn't. Except everybody. Yes? The kingdom of God is defined as God reestablishing his rule over creation. 
The kingdom of God existed when Adam and Eve were here. That was the kingdom of God. It was lost when sin came. The kingdom of God is the work of God to reestablish his reign over all creation. That began with all God's works, but especially in Christ. That's why he begins the parables by saying, the kingdom of God is like, it's not like the world, the kingdom of God is like, and that's what God wants to work. That's what God wants to work. So, um, we don't see a lot of it, but we believe it. We believe it. But God sending his son was, that's why, that's why Christ says, the kingdom of God has come near you. Because he was it. He was saying, here is the kingdom of God. And it's now come near you. Okay? All right, let's go on to 15. Therefore, see or behold carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Okay. So be careful how you walk. Now he's talking to us. He's talking to the believers in Christ. Now, okay, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now, what is wisdom? Wisdom is different than knowledge. Knowledge is factually based. You know. You know it. Wisdom is being able to take knowledge and apply it to everyday life. Okay? That's the difference. A lot of people have knowledge, but they're still stupid because they can't tie their shoes. Uh, that They cannot take what they know and apply it to everyday life. That's what he, why he's saying, be wise. In other words, take everything you know about Jesus Christ and all his teaching and take that and apply it to everyday life. Apply it. Unwise cannot do that. Wise can Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Now, some of your translations probably say, making the best of the time, English translation. The word is actually redeem, buy back. 
So what's really being said here, we think, is you have been redeemed in Jesus Christ. Now as a redeemed person, even though the days around you are evil, you can redeem those days doing good. You can, you have been blessed yourself, and now you can be a blessing to others. Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Because of this, um, let's see, because of this, uh, do not be foolish, but understand what is the will of God. So, Understand what is the will of God. That's going back to testing to see what the, 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 what is pleasing to God. This is saying testing to see what is the will of God. Okay? What is the will of God? And then it says, and do not get drunk, do not be drunk on wine in which is debauchery, but be filled in the Spirit. This automatically makes us think of Pentecost. Remember on Pentecost when the disciples got up and were speaking with all those languages? And the people said, these guys are drunk. Okay? Immediately takes us back there. So we're not to be drunk with wine, Literally, you could say, we're to be drunk with the Holy Spirit. We can't. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to us because we can make it happen. The Holy Spirit comes to us as a gift from God. What it's basically saying is, let the Spirit fill you And don't push him out being drunk on the things of this world. It's not just wine. It's being drunk on the things of this world, which is debauchery, okay, which is uh, wantonness, useless, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, let the Spirit have his way with you. Let the Spirit have his way with you. All right, and then speaking to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, okay, singing and the actual word is singing and psalming in your hearts to God. Psalming in your hearts to God. Now that, they think that this term may be uh, a direction to play instruments. So some of your translations may say singing and making melody. That's because it's, it's focusing on the playing of instruments. In your hearts to God, okay? 
This uh, same thing is said in in Colossians. Um, In other words, it's words of encouragement. It's words that that, uh, uh, make you think of Christ, make you think of who you are as a baptized person um, in your hearts to the Lord. Okay, it is worship. When you stop and think about it, your entire life is to be worship of God. Everything you do and say is to honor and praise and worship God. It's a life of constant worship. And then it says, and giving thanks always for everything. Given thanks always for everything. Uh, Philippians has this same same line: giving thanks for all things. Uh, ask yourself this: Does that include thanking God for the bad things that happen? And, and you know, there are some days certain things happen to you, and you're not in a thankful mood. Okay, but this is saying be thankful for even the difficult, the bad. Why? Go back to what he said before. The light can conquer all these things. The light can conquer all these things. So giving thanks always for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. See, here it's specified, and God the Father. Uh, Where when we talked about it before, up at the top, it was the kingdom of Christ and God, or the kingdom of Christ who is God. But here it is specified that it is to Jesus Christ and God the Father. Okay, that's as far as we're going today. Because the next section's on marriage, and we want to do that as a whole. All right, questions, comments? No, when bad things happen in your life... um, you're not in a thankful mood. I can remember one time we had this lousy car, and we had spent a fortune on that car. And I was driving that car home, and I said, okay, Lord, I thank you that we've gotten this fixed, and we're all done. Blew up in that instant. <laughs> it was gone. I said, thanks a lot. Okay. But you don't feel like being thankful when some things happen. But then sometimes, in retrospect, you look back and see how God worked through it. See how the light enlightened it, exposed it for what it is, and he fixed it. Yeah, Steve, you should know that. 
been around a long time. You can't give me a line like that without me jumping in there. Okay, bud. Well, Paul in prison with uh, Paul and Silas, was it, in prison? And then uh, they were praising God down there in the dark. In the dark. And what happened? Earthquake. Earthquake, and they were set free. They were thanking God for being in prison for him. And they were set free. Okay? They were set free. So, okay. Anything else? All right. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.